To do halacha, okay, let's begin. Um, one of the, it's actually minashamayim. Uh, I mean, everything's minashamayim. But uh, one, of the, one of the things um, that I wanted to talk about today is very appropriate um, to talk about as we're gonna as we begin. It's not it's not a parsha year that will wait till Thursday. Um, even though Nachi's all excited for the Parsha year, but Yisro, Yisro was a man, and the Parsha of Yisro of Kabbalah Satoira is uh, <clears throat> is is one of one of the major things that we can learn from Yisro is the dedication of a life pursuit of of truth, to look for the truth, to be willing to sacrifice. Uh, one's one's comfort and be willing to sacrifice your life for for the the ultimate truth and for what's real and for for what life life is truly about. Um, and that journey does not begin when you're when you're 80 years old. That journey does not begin when you're 70 years old. That journey doesn't begin when you're 60 years old. Sometimes it can. Right? Sometimes it can begin later on in life. But the earlier you begin your journey, the more, um, the more probable you are to live your life. Uh, in a, in a, first of all, you don't know how long you, you get to live. So it's always important to start young because you don't know how old you really are. You think you're young. We've said this many times, and I love saying this. You think you're 18. You're like, oh, 20. Oh, I got all the time in the world. How do you, you don't know how long. Let's say you die at 40. Let's say, God forbid, you die at 50. And then, and then someone else who's 40, right, makes it till 90. So you're actually older than a 40-year-old right now. So you have no idea how long you're going to live. You have no idea. So you think, oh, you got time. You don't know how much time you have. So the earlier a person begins his journey of finding the truth, and finding himself and working towards, towards yourself, which includes many, many things. We're not going to get into that so much now. I do want to learn one piece of purity of speech before I introduce um, our, our guest. It's not a guest for us. It's an honor. The biggest inspiration from my biggest inspirations, even though I make a joke about it, uh, usually, and I say that he does it for me, which it's not so much a joke. They say every, every joke has a bit of truth in it. But to have a person sit in this shear consistently, to have a person who, to sit in this shear consistently who could be your, uh, uh, for sure your grandfather, possibly your great-grandfather. And to have a person with a, with, who, who has uh, been there, done that, to share, and none of us know his journey, but to sit here and to work on himself, to continue. You know, when I do the Shalom Bayesh here and we talk about, uh, you know, marriage and working on our marriage, and to have a person who's been married for, I think I know because he's, he's, uh, he's mentioned, you know, 52 years. 50? 56 years. I just want you guys to hear what that means. You guys hear that? To be married for 56 years. No, no, this is... <laughs> to the same person. Very good. 
to be married, but it's deeper than that. I want to tell you why it's deeper than that. You could be married 56 years to someone and you fight all the time. You could, that could happen. They could, that could happen. And you're miserable. But Rabbi Lazarus, Rabbi Lazarus Shlita, is a person that he comes to sit in the Shalom Bayashir and he's not coming, uh, like I said, partly he comes to make me feel good. I have no doubt in my mind. He makes me feel good uh, that I shouldn't, I should feel like, wow, it's a covet that he comes. But, but he can't hide his truth. The reason he comes is the same reason he comes to this shear. He comes to this shear, and I've said this before, I'm not waiting till after 120 for Rabbi Lazarus to talk about Rabbi Lazarus. I'm talking about him right now. Right now I'm talking about him. Because it's, a, it's an honor for this yeshiva. It's an honor for me to, to know, besides the fact that he's in this yeshiva, and he sits here and you could, we could take notes from who he is. The fact that he sits in this shear, the fact that he comes to the Shalom Bayashir, is the greatest uh, musr for all of us. And that is your dedication to growth, your dedication to learn new things. Your dedication to, to change, to work on yourself. Right? As the Rebizer Zalman Meltzer, they say, who was a big tzaddik, he said that when he turned 80 years old, he said on his birthday, everyone's wishing him a happy birthday, he said, now it's time for me to begin learning Be'in. Now I can learn Torah. 80. Could you imagine that? Now I'm ready to learn Torah. Now I'm ready to have a good relationship with my wife. Now I'm, I'm ready to change myself. So... Um, Incredible, incredible, incredible. So we're going to hear from Rabbi Lazarus. Anyone can ask questions. Because um, I know Rabbi Lazarus definitely has, a, has history. He was not born with a long frock and a long, uh, beautiful beard. And as a Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Lazarus was, was uh, is Rosh Hashiva emeritus of, uh, of Yeshiva or Sameach. And the fact that we uh, will have the um, ability... And the schus to hear him is a tremendous inspiration for me personally. Um, with that in mind, Rabbi Lazar, I'm just going to say one halacha over here of purity of speech because this is it is important for us to say that. Because the bottom line, I guarantee you, someone like like Rabbi Lazarus did not spend his life talking about other people. He, to, he spent his life helping other people and being there for other people. He did not spend his life talking bad but it's not possible people don't you can't make it to where you to where he's made it to and he's making it to by talking about what I can't say your journey please Rale, come on um, so with that in mind let's let's begin we're, uh, we're on day 53 page 141 alright this is a tough one I'm going to skip this one it's a little bit, it's too, too long for, for now. Let's, let's do 144 instead. We'll go back, someone remind me to go back to it. Day 54, 144, because that one's it's a little complicated because it says it talks about speaking to your spouse. I don't want to, I, I don't want to rush through that. Let's do day 54, page 144. You cannot tell Lashon Hara about your friend to a non-Jew. This is very, very, very practical. And God willing, when you, when you go, go in the workforce and you work, it's very, very dangerous. And he says, you're not allowed to talk Lashon Hara, page 144, day 54. You're not allowed to talk Lashon Hara about a Jew to a non-Jew. Why? 
So the danger of talking Lashara to a guy is much worse. Why? Because a Jew has a mitzvah to don lekafschus. So if I tell you something about someone else, you have a chiv, you have a responsibility to judge favorably. A guy doesn't have a chiv. He doesn't know how to judge favorably. So he's going to be like, okay, he's going to believe it. Right? One who talks Lashara to a guy also... It falls under the category of an informer because you're machal shem shemayim. Also, it's not nice. It's like it's like you Jews. You don't know how to get along. You're telling uh, someone else that you know oh, I don't like this guy. Just be very very careful. And in business, it's also very dangerous because what could happen in business? Right? Someone says, oh, don't go to that guy because that guy he's not so honest. He's this. And if you're a businessman trying to make money, you say, oh, I have this goyish customer. Who's going to, and the guy who you're talking about might be even a secular Jew. He might not be a from guy, his, right? His name is Bernstein, Jack Bernstein, who sells insurance. And you tell, you know, some guy, oh, that Jack Bernstein, he doesn't do a good job selling insurance. That's, that, that's, that's pure, pure Lashon Hara, pure Lashon Hara. Very, very dangerous. Okay, Hashem will help us all. We should all be zochah not to speak Lashon Hara, not to hear any Lashon Hara. Only to see the beauty in in uh, every in our brothers and sisters. And without further ado, I I'd like to um, you know we'll sing one song because I just saw Ophir's here. I want to sing a song. We'll sing a niggin, sing a niggin. Yeah, as a hachana, I'm going to sit with the with the with everybody because so I want to listen to Rabbi Lazarus to tell us a bit about his journey. And guys, ask him questions. Ask him like. Real questions. He'll start a little bit, but don't don't be afraid to ask. We got We want to get in there with Rabbi Lazarus. We want to hear. We want to hear how he, how what it was growing up in the. When did you grow up? When did you grow up? What years? The forties, guys. You hear that? You grew up in the forties. Hear that, Morty? That's wild. That's wild. And he's sitting with us. They didn't have pizza. Three cents for a burger, guys. We're talking to a man who sits with us. He sits with you to humble himself. And it's not like he told the story yet. He didn't even tell us the story. Okay, Ophir, what's, what niggin are we singing? What song? Guys, let's sing a song. Mashcheni. I like Mashcheni. You know what Mashcheni Achrach Naruta means? Hashem, Hashem, draw us to you. We're drawn to so much stupidity. Hashem, draw us to you, Hashem. We're naturally drawn to stupidity. Hashem, draw us to you. I don't want to be drawn to my tithes. I don't want to be drawn to stupidity. I don't want to be drawn... You hear this, Raf? Is this amazing? We ask Hashem, like we said, Shalashudas. We ask Hashem to draw us to Him. It's His responsibility. That's what it says. It's his, he, we ask Hashem. It's like, Hashemenu Hashem Eilecha. Hashem, if you draw us to you, we're going to be good.
Lazarus speaks of Sardis the rub already, but I was just sitting next to Zach. And Zach said that today he's on his last page of his notebook from this year. Okay. Can we turn this off? No. Uh, my, kids, my, my children don't know this part of me. They're not going to hear it. Your children aren't going to hear it. We want to hear it. We want the world to hear it. Okay. Can I? Maybe it's Russian horror. Can I have pictures of very emotional? I might end up crying. Um, when did my story start? It's hard. I didn't prepare. So uh, my story really started uh, before I was born. Um, my father. Okay. My father was uh, 17 years old when World War II broke out. And um, he, he tried to join the army because he knew that was happening in Europe to the Jews. And he wanted to join the army. <clears throat> and uh, they wouldn't accept him. My father was born in America. In America. My father was an American. Um, and he, he volunteered to join in the army, and they didn't accept him. So he wrote a letter, I think I still have a copy of it, to President Roosevelt, saying that I want to fight against the Nazi Germans who want to destroy this country, America, and I'm Jewish. And I want to save my brothers. They accepted him. So that's the beginning of my story. The end of the story is he, he actually he met my, my mother, was English, and he was in, uh, he had a, a, a weekend off. He was stationed in France. He took a tramp, if you understand what the, what the Israeli means by that, he took a tramp to England from France. And uh, he ended up in a place called Bournemouth, and my mother was evacuated from London, and she was there, and he walked into shul on Friday night, and my uncle saw him, and he said he invited him for Shabbos. My uncle was 25 years older than my mother. Um, My aunt, his wife, was 20 years older than my mother, his older sister. And he made the shidduch. They got married in England. And... uh, my story started there because um, when my mother arrived in America, she was six months pregnant with me. I would have been born in England. She stayed there. Just think that. Wow, scary. Jody would show Roger. So when I was younger, I used to speak like that. You know, I wanted to go. I was born in 1946, right after the war. Right after the. And um, <clears throat> anyway, I grew up in, in America. That's the end of part, first part of the story. Uh, I grew up in America. I grew up, my, I was actually, when I was a young, a little, little baby boy, and until five, five years old, I lived in Flatbush. Um, but then we moved to Borough Park. And in Borough Park, that's when I started school. And um, between... Uh, 53rd Street and 54th Street on 14th Avenue there's this big building called Satma Yeshiva and that's the, I went to school in that building I know I don't look like a Satma Chassid 
My parents weren't Satma Hasidim. Actually, when I went to that school, it was called PS 103. It was before Satma bought it. It was a public school. Went to public school. Went to public school. Right. So, um, so anyway, a couple of years later, I became a Satmar Chassid. No. <laughs> uh, so I was in, that's where I went up. I was in school, public school, boys and girls, you know, Borough Park. Um, my family was from, I, I don't think I was consciously ever Michal Shabbos in my life, or I never ate anything that's not kosher, um, but I went to public school. Uh, I was a tough kid. Skinny, frail, tough kid. Tough, tough kid? means you could take punishment. Not that you give it out, that you can take it. And um, my luck has it that a course broker gave me certain things that I, I, I skipped the third grade. So I was, and I just made, on the, the end of the year, I was like two years younger than most of the people in my class. And I got picked on a lot. So, uh, and it was the only one in the whole school that wore a yarmulke. They picked on you because you wore a yarmulke? Yeah. I know, they picked on me because I was a skinny kid to pick me up. <laughs> but I graduated school. I was in the fifth grade of the school. I just remember this one thing. Um, so I... <clears throat> When I was younger, I had a good singing voice, and they wanted me to be part of the choir in school, not a choir, a singing group. But when it came to Christmas time, they had Christmas carols. And in the fifth grade, um, they wanted me to have a solo singing Christmas carols with my yarmulke on. I, I refused. And my, um, um, I remember to this day, her name is, Mrs. Carroll, she was my teacher, fifth grade teacher, and she said, you have to do this. This is part of... I said, I'm Jewish. I don't sing these songs. So she said, but, but it's just a song. I said, no, it's not a song. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. She said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you... A, I'm going to report you for this. I said, you can do whatever you want. I'm not going to sing this. I'm a Jewish. That's it. So I was thinking, this little kid speaking this big fat, because <laughs> I, I was skinny then. I wasn't a big fat like that. Uh, so I said, "No, I'm not doing it. <clears throat> I'm Jewish." I didn't understand what that meant, other than the fact that a Shabbos we sang mirrors and I went to shul, and I went to cheder in the afternoon. After public school, I went. I did go to cheder in America. Cheder meant. You, after school, three o'clock, you finish school, and then you have an hour and a half that you go to Cheder until you're by mitzvah, and then forget about it. You know. But I, I paid attention, and I really learned there. By the time I was finished high school, but finished um, eighth grade, which I didn't go to, I skipped eighth grade also. <laughs> so I finished seventh grade. I um, I knew how to translate the whole Chumash public school kid. It wasn't yeshiva. Um, I remember one time, in, very distinctly, I had good friends. Most of my friends were not Shema Shabbos. 
And um, they, they asked me, listen, you can come to the movies with us, and Shabbos, we'll pay for you. So anyway, I was, it was tough. It was tough growing up. I asked my mother, you know, I said to my mother and father, could I do that? No, you can't do that. It's nothing. It's a chid Hashem. You can't do that. Okay, so I didn't do it. It was a bit, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. But those were my friends, you know. But I outgrew my friends. And I started looking for other friends. And I finished um, seventh grade. Actually, I finished sixth grade. And then I went to a high school called Brooklyn Technical High School. Uh, it was a special high school in, in Brooklyn. Uh, for You had to take a test to get into it. Um, and and I, it was 6,000 boys. You know the school? It's, it was, it was, it's a huge building around Cable Avenue or something like that, if you remember. It's like 10 stories high or something. There's 6,000 boys in the school. It's only boys. For high school? High school. High school, I was going to become a, a doctor. I entered high school when I was 13. I was a, when I was 15, I was a senior in high school. And I wore my yarmulke. 6,000 boys in that school. I was the only one that wore a yarmulke, even though probably, probably most of the kids in the school were Jewish because you had to take a test to get into it. I was the only one with a yarmulke. And I got picked on. The Italians on the what do you call the June team used to pick on me all the time. And one day, um, I saw Hakadosh Baruch Hu sent me a matona. He there was a, a something in the auditorium. They had a special program. I'm so dry, my mouth is so dry. Um, a special program for um, a, a, someone Nick Yang's uh, school of of martial arts. Very interesting thing. I said to myself, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. So I signed up that night. It was in the neighborhood. I signed up for judo and karate. Okay? I did it like, I mean, some sugar. I mean, like, I, I just, I did it like more, even more than sports. Um, I have a brown belt in judo and a black, two black belts in karate. Oh, don't mess with me. <laughs> I got my black belt. How long did it take you? It, it took me one year and a half to get my black belt in Kodokan, Shodokan, known here, and and Maynard Minard was was my was my mentor was a teacher who was Maynard Minard this black guy you called him Mr. Minard that's all thank you very much Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
my children, uh, my son knew that I did that. My, my oldest son is the only one who knew that I had black belt in karate. And um, he's a Rosh Hashiva here in Kiryat Sefer. And he said, he said one of his, one of his uh, Talmidim, some of his Talmidim said to him, is it true that your father killed the Schwarzer? <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe I did. I'm not sure. <laughs> I didn't stick around to find out. Uh, so, the gym team, the towns on the gym team became, by the time I was a senior in high school, they became my best friends. They weren't afraid of me because I, 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 I wouldn't hurt anybody. I wouldn't, I never, even as a child, even when I did that, I didn't do it to show off and I didn't do it to, I did it for self-defense. And I, I learned enough of a discipline. One of the things in the discipline when I learned karate was um, to run from a fight. If you can run, run. If you don't have to fight, don't fight. But if you have to fight, then I never killed somebody. I never did. I'm, I'm, maybe I did. You knew how to? Yeah. Yeah. My man of minored left the school. He, he left the school. And, and, and Histataka, who was the champion of Japan, was hired by the school to teach a different kind of karate known as Kempo. And that's where I really learned karate. Um, and I studied under Tistataka. He was my rabbi in karate. And um, I was offered a scholarship to go to Japan to study in Japan in a real school of karate. And I really wanted to do it. My parents wouldn't let me do it. I said, no, you can't do that. I had been accepted to Harvard, and my parents wanted me to go to Harvard. So I was 17 years old at the time. And <clears throat> I didn't end up going. Yeah, I didn't end up going. I ended up... I ended up... I ended up uh, going to YU instead. I... I was always religious. I was always firm. I didn't know so much, but I, I wanted to learn. So I, my parents were in a good financial situation, and they weren't able to pay tuition for me, although they did for my younger brother, did go to yeshiva his whole life. Um, we lived in Borough Park. But I didn't have that opportunity until I was older. I never took a vacation in the summer. Every summer vacation, I never went to camp in my life. I never did anything like that. I never went on vacation. I worked. I used to, since I was 12 years old, I worked to support myself. I lived in my parents' house. I didn't support myself that way. But if I had to buy anything for myself, I paid my tuition to YU. I took out loans. I worked as a student. And... Uh, and I learned like crazy. I started learning, and I loved learning. And um, I'm, 
I'm, I'm trying to think chronologically where, where I am now. And I once... And we'll continue. We can have a part two. Can we have some questions up till now? Yeah, well, just one, one last thing is in, in YU, I did use my judo once. I came, into, I came into my room one night, the lights were out, and somebody jumped me. And I threw him almost out the window. <laughs> Who was it? It was my brother. He ended up being my brother-in-law. <laughs> Glad it was my father-in-law. You didn't tell us when you got married. I didn't get married yet. I was still. You said I was, it was your brother-in-law. Yeah, I'm just. He became my brother. Okay, question, guys. Question, comments. Wow. Yes. Greg was in third grade and had the, what, like, if mine is the Christmas choir. What was it, if you're, are you able to pinpoint, like, what it was that, did, that, that you were able to say no, that you didn't want to be doing that? Was that, like, religious identity? Was that all Yeah, wrong? for sure. For sure. I said, I'm a Jew. Why, when, when I was in the fifth, it was the fifth grade, when I was in the fifth grade, why wouldn't I sing the Christmas carols? Because I was Jewish. I, I wore, the fact that I wore a yarmulke, and it was the only one in the school that wore a yarmulke, made me so conscious of the fact that I'm a Jew. I, I knew, I, subconsciously, I didn't really understand the halacha, but I didn't realize that it, it's a kid of Hashem. I, I, have a, I have a big responsibility to call Yisrael to maintain my Judaism. Even as a little kid, I understood that. Who got you to wear the in the first place? My parents. parents. I wore it in my home. So you had towels as a kid. You didn't have to come home and say, you know, Dad, Mom, uh, nobody else is wearing it. Oh, wow. Why should I? You know, five, six, seven kids. And the fishing on No. Never said it. Never you thought it. Feel like no. Tyler would take it off like once you got to school and like get picked up. Your parents wouldn't give you the note. I, I wasn't doing it for my parents. I was doing it for me. That's the way my parents raised me. That was my question also. Like, you didn't feel any your pressure? You didn't feel like... Of course, I got, I got beat up. So did that... So, so what kept you... What made you say, like, I'm not getting I, into this? I'm a Jew. I knew I, my parents raised me as being proud of being Jewish. And, and that's how I was able to stand up to a teacher in the fifth grade, as a little kid. And... And, and that's... What's your name? Ophir. 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 Oph
I'm very, I'm, I'm, it's an honor for me to, to know you. What? No. Did your parents deal with it? Like your parents were like, nah, he's not going to school. Or like, I'm saying, yeah, my parents were 100 percent behind. Yeah, my parents were from. My father was not. I, my father was not a Talmud Chacham. Many years later, I became his rabbi. But I. It wasn't. But I got something from him. That's the most precious gift that he I have, and that is, he taught me how to love. He taught me what love is. Not just that he loved me, but he taught me how to love. And I don't know, I, because my parents made me feel like it was God's gift to the world. And they made me feel so good about myself, even when I, even when I didn't do well. It's okay, you know. We love you, and I don't know exactly how. I know that it turned out that way. Um, I did it to my children and my grandchildren, and I'm doing it also to my great-grandchildren. I realized that Hashem loves me. He gave me so many things. Like, for instance, when I saw that demonstration in the auditorium of uh, Nick Yang's um, School of Martial Arts, I said, Hashem, thank you. You sent this to me. This is exactly what I'm looking for. What am I going to do? I keep getting beat up by these, by these Goyim. So I understood. This was Hashem's open. You should know something. Hashem is going to open doors for you, your life. The Ramban says in Chumash, there's Machlokas, Ramban, Ramban, Atinok Shanishbo. Atinok Shanishbo is Chayev. Why is he Chayev? He's Chayev one Corbin for everything that he did, that he did wrong. Ramban says, Atinok Shanishbo is someone who grew up not, um, not educated uh, in a Torah way. Okay, perhaps today that you could say that. A tikshanishba is, is a din in the Rambam brings in there's a din of a of a Thomas uh, Chochem who goes against the ruling of the Sanhedrin. Zokin Mamre. And so the halachas of Zokin Mamre, the Rambam says <coughs> that um, Someone who is uh, an apikoris cannot be a zokin mamre. It means if he's a zok, if he's an apikoris, we won't. Even if he's a big, he knows a lot, he's not. A, he's not a. He's an apikoris. Okay. Uh, maybe in the Ramadan times you could kill him and get away with it, but today we don't do those sort of things. You know. We, you know. <clears throat> If somebody, though, he says, if someone like, like Tzoduk and Baitus, who were Talmudim in, in Prekyovos, of 
of of gedolim like Shimon Atzadik, because they saw him Shimon Atzadik, and Antigone Soho, they were his, he was their rabbi. He taught them, and he he taught the famous mission in Pekayovas um, of. And they thought that he was saying there's no reward. You should be like a serv- like an avid that serves his master. Not for reward. He was saying you should do it lishma. It's very hard to do it. We do lishma. Why do you do it? Because Hashem is so good. That's why we serve Him. Not because we get anything from it. We do get things from it when we serve Him, right? But that's not the reason. We're supposed to do it that way. And they thought that he was saying there's no reward. So that's where the tzedokim and the baitusim came from. And they were the original people that said, only Torah Shabiksav. We, we reject the Torah Shabal Peh, because that's part of Torah Shabal Peh. And they rejected Torah Shabal Peh. And they went off, and they had Talmidim that taught that way. Says the Rambam, Sarduk and Baitus, their Talmidim are considered Chayev for being apikosim. However, the Talmidim of the Talmidim, the third generation, the Tinuk Shanishbo. Now there's a sugi in Mesech HaShabbos and Davayin, Ayin Beis, through Ayin Beis, of a Tinuk Shanishbo. Tinuk Shanishbo is, is a child who, <clears throat> who was taken away at a very early age. He was... His village was invited, invited, invaded by some barbaric people, and they took this kid. They killed everybody in the town. They killed his parents. They took this kid and they raised him. They put a bone through his nose and all kinds of different stuff that he. This is how we grew up. So, is he responsible for not doing, not keeping Shabbos, not eating kosher? So, the, the Gemara says no. Everybody agrees no, except that he's hired for one. Thing, Skyev for one, one chatos for all the averes that he did. The Ramban says that Hashem gives every. Why is he chayev? How could he be chayev? Even for that, even for one, is that Hashem gives opportunities to every single human being to come close to Him, especially Jews. Because we are Harsinai, we accepted the Torah. And Hashem said, I'm giving you an opportunity to keep your eyes open. I don't know how I understood this. It was, I don't know, intuitive in my feelings, but I felt that's what I looked for in my life. I saw Hashem. I followed that my whole life. I had so many opportunities. I saw people who were great. I got close to great people, Gedoli Torah, during my life. So my grandfather went to public school, and he used to get bullied for wearing a yarmulke. So one time he was being chased around, 
you turn around, you smack that cross face, and you never go with them again. <laughs> Don't get um, easily, uh, um, I don't know, disappointed. I don't know what the right word is. Um, my first semester in YU, we were learning Sochim. And I bought a new Gemara, and my name was on it, and my dorm room was on it. And I left it outside. Uh, the, 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 the lunchroom was owned by some Parkers. I don't know if it's still that way. Now, I graduated uh, college 50, over 50 years ago. So I don't really know what it was like. But I left my Gemara there. It was missing. I never got it back. It had my name in it. It had my dorm room in it. I can't believe that any of the black, you know, the janitors stole the Gemara. And I was, I was, so, dis, I was so disillusioned. Here I am in Yeshiva. I finally made Yeshiva. And the first day in Yeshiva, first week in Yeshiva, my Gemara gets stolen. I said, uh... I said, what is this? This is any better than what I, what I came from, public school? Anyway, I, I knew that it was because I, I learned the Torah. I believed in Hashem my whole life and I knew that he was on my side and I don't know why he did this. I don't know why this happened. But um, to this day, I still remember that. It's, it's just, this is like over 50 years ago that this happened to me and I, you know... I can't understand how it happened, but um, ouch, it hurt. And um, but there are too many good people. Torah has too many good people, and people are good. And I and I believed one of the things my parents had me believe that people in generally want to be good. They want to be good, and there's a goodness in them. And you have to learn how to look for the good in people, and you will you'll see it. You'll see it, and you'll, your life will be enriched by that, you know? And um, anyway, I, my, my stand in YU wasn't anything spectacular. Um, I finished YU, I finished college, and um, I got married. Uh, my wife had been learning in, in uh, Stern College, and she was in yeshiva her whole life, and um, uh, and a year after we got married, a little bit a year and a couple of months after we got married, my son was born, and my wife, who I was learning learning in Kolel for one year, and my wife said, "I'm I'm going to stay home, and take care of my kids, my kid," and so there I was, an ex Kolel guy. I had to find a way, I had to, my parents and her parents couldn't help us. We were, she, she was paying the rent basically by working and now she stopped. So I had to go to work. So I took a newspaper, New York Times, I opened it. I saw that New York City was training and hiring social workers. I said, I'm not a social worker, I want to be a doctor if anything. You know? So, um, but I went down, I was interviewed, I got hired on the spot, 
Um, I don't remember the interview at all. I remember that for six weeks I had training as... And after six weeks, I had a caseload of uh, 25 families that I was responsible for to at least visit their homes at least five, four times a year. Um, the area that I had was um, Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brownsville, if you know that area of Brooklyn, right? I might have been the only, not only the person wearing a yarmulke in that, in that neighborhood, but maybe the only white guy. <laughs> I already had a black belt in karate. I wasn't afraid. I used to walk. I, I didn't have. I, I used to walk in the in the neighborhood with a suit, a suit and a, a tie, and a, a, like a yeshiva bocher. I was yeshiva bocher, and now I'm a case. I'm a, I'm a social worker, and I'm walking around there, and no one ever, no one ever touched me. Hakadosh no, he no one even started up with me. The worst. Uh, once a kid asked me, a black kid said to me, "Hey man." What gang do you belong to? <laughs> I said, I don't belong to a gang. I don't have any gangs where I live. What? Ain't you, ain't you afraid? You can walk down the street. You got killed. Who's going to protect you? I said, God. That's up. Ad time. Ad time.